started this morning. It's uh, kind of a odd thing. I look out there and I just see the spirits of righteous men made perfect because Jimmy and Roger are the only two in here. So it kind of reminds me of some of my first Bible classes 40 years ago. There wasn't a whole lot of people there. So anyway, um, we are going to be studying coming events once again. And uh, being part of prophecy, we know the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and show us things to come. So before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer and get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your blessings, your tests, your opportunities. We thank you just for your amazing word. Thank you for inspiring it. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for bringing it through the centuries down to us at this point in time. Father, we are living in an interesting time, to say the least. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of living in this time. We pray that you'll help us to understand it better, what's coming up, how to better minister during this, this uh, life we still have on earth. And Father, I pray that indeed you would uh, bless this time together, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are uh, studying, uh, we've been studying, why study prophecy? First of all, all scripture is profitable, and we know that about a third of scripture is prophecy, so if all scripture is profitable, prophecy is part of that, and it is indeed profitable. We looked at the next section, how to interpret prophecy. These are the rules of hermeneutics that you use, and they're the same basic rules. You just look at what it actually says. You try to dig down into the original languages and find out what it actually says, and then uh, interpret accordingly. Uh, We interpret literally because that's the way God has fulfilled things throughout history. He fulfills them literally. Messiah came. He uh, literally uh, lived. He died. He rose again on the third day. So we interpret all the prophecy yet to come out of that. We looked at the next great prophetic event, which is the rapture itself. One of the big questions right now, we're in a world that is in turmoil. People are saying, is, it, is the rapture coming soon? We, we don't know. We don't know the day or the hour. But what we do know is that uh, the rapture will happen sometime from uh, within the generation uh, of which Israel comes back into the land. And that's the next point. When does it happen? Uh, Israel back in the land as a political entity shows us once again that uh, this generation will not pass till all these things take place. What we don't know is the length of the generation. So we're supposed to be ready at all times. We looked at different factors that affect the timing. Uh, we looked what happens at the rapture. And we looked at the end-time nations, the end-time entities that uh, had to be in place. The king of the north, the king of the south, the kings of the east, the king of the west, which is the Antichrist. Israel, of course, has to be back, along with religious Babylon and economic or prophetical Babylon. So we analyzed those, took a look at them. We're putting this together as a systematic theology. So as we begin to study, we will find the different puzzle pieces from all over the uh, Bible and put them together to get a bigger and broader picture. Now, we're at point H, section H, events that follow the rapture on earth. And the first thing that we are going to look at 
is the tribulational period. Now, this is a um, picture. I think most of you have it already. Uh, you probably can just see some of the big lines and arrows. This is a picture of the rapture when we're caught up to meet him in the clouds of the sky. This is the reaping over the earth where he takes out the righteous and leaves the wicked. And then what follows is known as the tribulation. Now, the last half of this seven-year period is known as the great tribulation. Then the Lord comes back and sets foot on earth and he takes out the wicked and leaves the righteous to inherit the millennial kingdom. Now, we've been through this many, many times and so we'll keep going through it because we have to have a picture in our head of the, the puzzle. We need the corner pieces, which are dispensations. We need the straight lines, which are the direct statements of Scripture that guide us through this. And then we need to find the puzzle pieces that all fit together, see where they fit on the timeline. And that's what we're in part doing now. Now, the uh, thing we're going to look at today is the tribulation. And what is the tribulation? It refers to the time when God pours out His wrath on humanity in an unprecedented measure. Now, Matthew 24, uh, verse 21-22, uh, says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now, this period of time, this seven years of history is going to be unprecedented. We hear that word used a lot of times around the world today. This is unprecedented. Unprecedented. What we're facing today is unprecedented. Well, this thing called the tribulation is unprecedented. There have been a lot of bad times in history. There have been the Black Plague uh, that went through Europe. There's been a lot of bad things that have gone on in history. But this is something that will affect the entire world, not just a portion of it. And it indicates that the whole world will know it, not just from our own little um, hamlet or borough that we might live in, but that the entire world will know that this is going on. To me, that says there had to be a rise in technology. Daniel 12 needed to be fulfilled, and that uh, knowledge had to increase, and all these things are coming to pass now. It says, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, the other passage is Zephaniah, first chapter and verse 14. And if you want to turn there for just a minute, uh, we're going to read, read that. Because the tribulation is not just a New Testament concept. This tribulation has been taught throughout the prophets of the Old Testament. So Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14 says, Near is the great day of the Lord. Now, near is uh, uh, kind of indicates that it's just right around the corner. But this is talking about something that is is not necessarily near in time, but it's growing near by means of information. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. See, back in the Old Testament, in Zephaniah and the prophets, they talked about the day of the Lord coming quickly, just like they do in the New Testament. And people get uh, all bent out of shape and say it hadn't come quickly, but 
This means it is coming without any unnecessary delays. And when you understand that phraseology that way as an idiom, then it makes it, makes it clear that there are some necessary delays. In Zephaniah, there had to be the first advent, for one thing, before this great day of the Lord was going to come come quickly. It says, Near and coming very quickly, listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly, A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. For all the earth, you see that phrase? All the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. He's talking about a day here in Zephaniah uh, in which the whole world, not just the local part of it, not just Israel, not just Mesopotamia, not just Egypt, the whole entire world is going to face this. It says, For he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. So he is going to bring this all to pass. And here is this description in Zephaniah that is, uh, you know, we don't usually reference Zephaniah because it's all prophetic. And this is a time that has never been fulfilled anywhere in the history of Israel or in the history of the world that is yet to be fulfilled. So this is quite a descriptive uh, paragraph. Now, humanity is going to reel under the wrath of God as a woman in labor. From 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, it says, While they are saying peace and safety. Uh, this is an uh, interesting passage because... It immediately follows the major passage on the rapture, which is at the end of chapter 4. And it's telling us what's going to happen in these end times, in the last days, and there's going to be a major peace movement that's going to go on in the last days. Everybody's trying to sing Kumbaya and get along with each other. Uh, just We were visiting a little bit earlier about that uh, John Lennon song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no no uh, hell uh, it's that type of song is a uh, uh, nihilistic uh, viewpoint of the earth and and it is basically saying there is no God there is no uh, consequences eternally and then uh, what are they going to do peace and safety that the world may come together and live as one they've tried that with the United Nations tried it with the League of Nations earlier in the 20th century and what we find with the first horseman of Revelation 6, the white horse, he's going to, to offer peace and safety, but he's going to bring it about by means of destruction. So he says, while they are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. So humanity will reel under the wrath of God as a woman in labor. Humanity, like a drunk under the influence of evil, will stagger under divine judgment. Uh, and if you would turn to Isaiah 24, these are passages that a lot of times when we 
read through the Bible, take our jaunt through the Bible, and we decide we're going to read it all the way through, and we're reading this, sometimes we're more interested in completing a chapter than we are in savoring what's found in those chapters. And um, has this stopped working? No. And... Uh, humanity, like a drunk under the influence of evil, will stagger. Isaiah 24, I'm going to read from verse 17. It says, Terror and pit confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare, for the windows above are opened, and the foundations of the earth shake. And when you when you start seeing something like that, you're basically when you put the puzzle pieces together, you're going to be taken to the second advent. This is when there's going to be an earthquake that sends all the uh, covers all the islands. It's going to be an earthquake that splits Jerusalem into three parts. And it says, unlike any other earthquake ever before in the history of the world, is the description of it. We're going to see that a little later in Revelation 16. But it says, the earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack. For its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high. Wow, this includes the angelic realm. When this happens, it's going to be second advent type of thing. The host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. This is angels and men it's talking about. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon. And will be confined in prison. And after many days, they'll be punished. Seemed like the, what? Satan, the devil, the false prophet, cast into the lake of fire, left there for a thousand years. We have this, this, then they're let out for a period of time. Then the uh, angels themselves, the fallen angels, are cast into the lake of fire. And it's then uh, eventually the destruction of the heavens and the earth. It says, Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of the armies will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. What a passage. Isaiah chapter 24. Humanity. It's not just talking about Israel. There's plenty of passages about them. This is covering the entire world. This is descriptive of what's going on in the world. Now, it is an outpouring of the God's justice. I should have capitalized the the on there. We're talking about the God's justice upon the iniquity of all humanity. If we keep reading in Isaiah, we get another puzzle piece. Isaiah 26, verse 16. O Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastening was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she writhes and cries out in her labor pains. Now, see, when, when Jesus picked up on this in the Sermon on the Mount and talked about these are just the beginning of birth pangs, 
He was talking to Jews. Do you think the Jews might have picked this up if they had any familiarity with the Old Testament? Because this is not a New Testament thing. This is not brand new out of the mouth of the Lord. He's referring back to the Old Testament. He says, Thus were we before you, O Lord. We were pregnant, Isaiah speaking, as a, as a prophet. We writhed in labor. We gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. Gave birth to nothing. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. See, this is this basically is the Jews saying, we're going to save ourselves. We couldn't accomplish deliverance for the earth. Look what's happened near the end of the second advent in the history of the world with the with the earthquakes, with the attempt at a fascist world, one world government. Look what has happened through all those things with all the drying up of the Euphrates, the, the stars falling out of heaven, the demons out of the bottomless pit. Look at all these things. And we couldn't deliver ourselves. He says, um, your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. Yours, capital Y, Talking about the Lord, your dead will live. That sounds a whole lot like the resurrection of the saints, doesn't it? With uh, Daniel chapter 12, this resurrection of the Old Testament saints at the second advent, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake, shout for joy. See, these are little markers that tell us when these events, prophetic events, are going to happen. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little until indignation runs its course. What's going to happen in Jerusalem just before the second advent? The king of the north has laid siege to it. Out to the west is the king of the west, the Antichrist, the south end of the Dead Sea is the kings of the east. And you have them all closing in on Jerusalem. And he's saying, get in and hide. See, there are times to stand and fight. There are other times to hide. And this is only the Holy Spirit can lead. When we have, they have, in this time of the tribulation, direct information as to what to do. For behold, the, the Lord is about to come out from his place. To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and no longer cover her, her slain. So it's basically saying the God out of the heavens is going to come and, and judge the world for its uh, rejection of him. Revelation 16, 1, I had heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. We'll cover that verse in the next session uh, today. Now, so what we find is this tribulation, a time when God pours out His wrath on humanity in unprecedented measure. And we find that uh, uh, it is, it's hard, you can't, it can't be escaped at that po point in time. Now, some various descriptions of the tribulation. What are some of the ways it's, it's described within Scripture? Matthew 24, 21 is called the tribulation. That's the Greek word thalipsis. It's a word that basically means to crush grapes. 
That's where the pressure comes from. It crushing the grapes with their feet. It is a pressure from all sides that just um, uh, mashes things. And this is the this is what the tribulation really is. A lot of times we feel pressure from all sides. A lot of times we feel like we're being pulled in every direction at the same time. That too is a is a form of pressure. But the tribulation is all about pressure. Uh, Matthew twenty four twenty one. We just saw there will be a great tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world the world until now, nor shall ever come into existence again. There's going to be a time of tribulation unlike any other time in the history of the world. Uh, it's interesting because the flood, you might argue, well, the flood was a pretty good time of tribulation. But if you were alive and weren't in the ark, it didn't last long. This, is, this wasn't demons coming out stinging people and you wished you would die and you couldn't die. This was a whole different type of thing with the uh, with the ark because they went into the ark and everybody outside died relatively quickly. They didn't last for seven years because the flood didn't last for seven years. It was about 370 days. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And we just read a passage in Zephaniah about everything going dark and everything shaking. Deuteronomy 4.30, it uses the word czar, Hebrew word, T-Z-A-R. He says, when you are in tribulation and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, interesting passage there, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. Here is Moses, Deuteronomy 4, getting ready to rehash the law. Go back over it again with the Jews. And he says, when you are there and all these things in the latter days, you'll return to the Lord. And when do the Jews finally return to the Lord? Totally. So that all Israel is saved. It's the second advent with the separation of the sheep and the goats. And the, the goats are thrown into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the sheep remain to inhabit the kingdom. So it's, it starts off the millennial kingdom with all believers. It's also called the week, Daniel 9:27. When we get done with this particular section, that's our next section. We're going to go through the uh, prophecy of Daniel's 70th week, found in Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27. Uh, the week is a period of seven years, and we'll go through why we're dealing with with uh, years. Daniel 9:27. He'll make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will stop, put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one that makes desolate. So it's called the tribulation. That's how we know it. It is called the week. It is called the day of the Lord in Zechariah 14.1. Behold, a day is coming when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. The day of the Lord. It's interesting. Sometimes that, that the day of the Lord refers to that day of the second advent, but it also refers to the day that will follow, which it refers to the millennial kingdom. First Thessalonians 5.2 You yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief at night. Those are just two representative verses.
is also called in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Jacob being the, the name of um, Israel, uh, the uh, twin of Esau, one of the son of Isaac. And he, uh, uh, it says, Alas, for that day is great, there's none like it. It's the time of Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved from it. Jacob will be saved from it. Israel will be uh, all saved at one point in history. It's a time when the slow burning anger of God or wrath is to be poured out. Now, the word wrath is orge. We're going to see some passages that in uh, Revelation 16 where this is called the anger. It's the thumos. And the relationship is that the orge is the slow-burning wrath that's been building up for a long time. When people continue to live in sin and don't turn to the Lord, that wrath is, is going on. It reaches a point, though, where this wrath is going to be expressed, and that's the thumos. That's when it is poured out. Now, in... 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Love these passages because everybody that believes that there will be a rapture, whether they're pre-wrath uh, or pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, whatever they are, they look to this verse and cite it as, as proof of their position. It says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us, believers, the church, from the wrath to come, or gay to come. First Thessalonians 5, 9 says, Or God has not destined us for, or gay, for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Revelation 6, verse 16 and 17... It's, when does the wrath start? That's where the argument is. When does the orge start? Well, at the outset of the tribulation, the Lord opens the, the first seven seals. Chapter 4 and 5, He's the only one found worthy. He opens the seven seals. And this gives us pressures that go on throughout the tribulation that just intensify throughout the tribulation. And so it's telling us basically when the wrath starts. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the orge of the Lamb. For the great day of their orge, their wrath, has come and who is able to stand. So the wrath of God begins to be poured out at the outset of the tribulation which tells us that the rapture is pre-tribulational because the whole tribulation is the orge of God. Now, notice this other word. There's a time, the tribulation, when the explosive anger of God is poured out, the thumos. Now, Revelation fourteen nineteen. here are these passages that, that says that. But notice that in the Thessalonians passage... It says that uh, it's deliverance from the orge, which means we'll be delivered before the sealed judgments are ordered or are or are open. The thumos 
of God begins with the bold judgments. That's where one of these positions uh, comes about that the uh, rapture doesn't occur until near the end of the tribulation, just before the bold judgments. We know the bold judgments are just before the end of the tribulation, probably 30 to 60 days. We don't have a definitive time on it, but we know that it is a period of time that's designed, it's the final push from God, a pressure to get mankind's attention so that they might repent. Stated objectives in Revelation 16. Now, the thumos of God really begins with the bold judgments. And so what has been done with the pre-wrath position is that they have intermixed words that shouldn't be intermixed. They have saying it is pre-wrath because we're promised deliverance from the orge to come. But the orge starts at the start of the trib. The thumos doesn't start until the bold judgments. That's Revelation 14, verses 19 and 20. This is where the thumos words are used. The angel swung his sickle into the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the anger of God. And the winepress press was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. That's second advent, the feet of the kings of the east. Revelation 15.1, I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, that's the bold judgments coming up, because in them the anger, the thumos of God is finished. Revelation 15, 7, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the anger of God who lives forever and ever. Revelation 16, 1, and I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of the anger of God into the earth. Now, what I'm reading is the correct translation of those passages. New American Standard, I didn't check other translations. They translate that word as wrath in those passages, and it's misleading. It should be anger, should be thumos, because the word wrath occurs back in Revelation 6, which starts the whole tribulation as being the wrath of God. So they've intermixed words there, and it, it serves to show that that's just an incorrect understanding. It's incorrect interpretation. It's incorrect position. Now, the latter years, it's also called the latter years, Ezekiel 38, 8. After many days you'll be summoned. This is Israel being called back into the land. In the latter years, you'll come into the land that is restored from the sword... Again, a promise of regathering of Israel. And if you have Ezekiel 37, you have the dry bones passage where all these dry bones laying out in the middle of the desert suddenly come together, put flesh on them, and then life is breathed into them, which is a picture of Israel being all in belief. All Israel shall serve the Lord and love the Lord. All Israel shall be saved. You have them coming back together for this to, for this to happen. After many days you'll be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, but its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. 
So it's saying in the latter years, Israel is going to be uh, come back, but it is going to be a time of the, the latter years, the time of great pressure. Ezekiel 38.16 calls it the latter days because it's interesting how Scripture goes to great lengths to talk about there's 2,520 days in this seven-year period. So you will come up, uh, come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. This is the king of the north. The king of the north has just moved through Israel and defeated the king of the south. Then the king of the north gets rumors from the west and from the east because the Antichrist is coming to honor his covenant. The kings of the east are coming to join with their fellow polytheists. And the king of the north, who's an atheist, turns back to go after Jerusalem. You'll come against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. This is Russia, the king of the north. And the Lord said, I will be glorified through what he's going to do. And we know what he's going to do. He's going to call down fire out of heaven and destroy them. Supernatural fire find that interesting. I don't believe it's going to be a missile or anything like that because the Lord is going to call down fire out of heaven. Sounds like it's going to be something that that is unique and he's going to bring it down bring it down and destroy the king of the north. It's going to be a precision uh strike by the way because where are they? Rock throwing distance from the Jews. We've heard about precision strikes and what our military can do and the GPS coordinates and all that and how they can zero these things in. But this fire that's called down out of heaven from God himself is going to be the most precision strike in all of history. Wouldn't surprise me if they didn't have some Jews in the middle of them and they're all saved and all the rest of them get zapped. Now, the purpose of the tribulation... The purpose of the tribulation, first of all, to prepare Israel for her Messiah and for the millennial kingdom. And we're not going to read Jeremiah 30 to 32, but that basically is describing it. Uh, Jeremiah 31 is classic verses on the millennial kingdom, what it's about, who's going to be there. And so the, why have the tribulation? It's designed to prepare Israel for her Messiah He's coming back. A lot of them think he's coming for the first time, but he's actually coming back, and they'll realize that in the tribulational period and the millennial kingdom. It is also to judge all the nations for evil. Now, these are important passages because uh, I've often thought about and I've often been asked about, well, where does South America fit in this? Because there's prophecies, there's prophetical Babylon, economic Babylon, which I believe is the United States. But there are prophecies about kings of the east, king of the north, king of the south, king of the west, all those prophecies out there. But what about uh, Mexico, Canada, <laughs> South America? Okay, will they get any judgment? Well, Jeremiah twenty-five thirty-two. Thus says the Lord of the armies, Behold, evil is going forth from nation nation 
and a great storm is being stirred up from the remotest parts of the earth. And those slain by the Lord on that day shall be from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented, gathered, or buried. They shall be like dung on the face of the ground. Now notice that it's going from nation to nation. The whole world is evil. You would expect that because the Christians have been taken taken out. There have been new Christians that have been found, but they've been killing them as fast as they could find them. So all of the all of the nations, you know, that uh, in Brazil there is a great population of Catholics down in Brazil and the uh, Christ of the Andes now, and I think they just lit that all up with all the flags of the world or something of that nature. But um, the Catholics, those that are that are believers, those who have trusted Christ for their salvation, they're gone. But there is a whole lot of religion left down there, and they're going to be following this this Antichrist just like the rest of the uh, rest of the world. He's either going to they're either going to follow him or they're going to die. That's the way it is. So there there's not a lot righteous people down there in South America. Isaiah 26 verse 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter into your rooms. Close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Will South America be taken out in the third year of the tribulation? Just like the... uh, economic Babylon is will the fallout do the damage it could I'm sure it'll do some damage down there but one of the things that we have to factor in is that God is judging it says over and over again the whole earth so how how can he judge them well star falling out of heaven could be one way demons coming out of the bottomless pit be another way sun going nova another way earthquake that makes every island flee away I mean, there are multiple things that are going to happen. The earth is shaking and tottering on its axis. What's going on on this planet um, uh, is defies all the laws of physics. That's why the great people are, that know so much are going to be shaking in their boots, saying, come on, mountains, fall on us. Get us out of this, out of this place. And he's going to prepare a Gentile remnant of believers for the millennial kingdom. Now, we have uh, read this passage many times. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, is the separation of the sheep and the goats. And that's what he's getting ready ready to do. Because at the end of the tribulation, everybody from all over the earth is going to be gathered together. There's not going to be a lot of them left. But everybody's going to be gathered together. And the goats, it says, are going to go into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But the sheep are going to be left to inherit the kingdom. The chief shepherd is now in charge. He shall shepherd the nations, it says, with the rod of iron. So it will be well established. Now, the tribulation will occur after Israel is completely dispersed and begins to return to their land. Now, here are three Old Testament uh, passages, two Old Testament passages. 
Deuteronomy done by Moses, this total dispersion of Israel and their regathering has been known by the Jews since Moses, at least the ones paying attention. In Deuteronomy 4.27, if you turn there quickly, it says, The Lord will scatter you among the nations. Now see, they were taken out in the northern kingdom, 721 B.C., and then um, the southern kingdom was hauled off into Babylon. But scattered among the nations, he's talking to all of them, he's got all the 12 tribes there in front of him, happened in 70 A.D. You'll be scattered, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, you'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve God as the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to His voice. They're out amongst the the nations. And he says, when you're in distress, a time of tribulation, in the latter days, you will. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he has sworn to them. This is quite a statement. It's saying, Israel, you're going to goof up. You're going to be dispersed. And one of these days, though, you're going to come back to the Lord. Zechariah 2 Verse 5 to 11. Again, we don't often quote Zechariah. Yet Zechariah is 14 chapters long. It's a, it is called a minor prophet, but it's got a whole lot of information. In Zechariah 2, For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens. Now, when they were dispersed in 70 A.D., they went to all the world. That's where they headed. They had already started that dispersion in 586. And a lot of them had come back to Babylon, or from Babylon. And then they decide they're going to go on because there are, there are synagogues in India that, that are dated back to the three and four hundreds B.C. So... <clears throat> Um, I dispersed you, declares the Lord. Escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts. So he's talking to him in the last days here. If you live in Russia, get out. Come on back. After glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them, so that they'll be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of the armies has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming. I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. This millennial is talking about end of tribulation, destruction of his enemies, millennial kingdom. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day. And will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst. And you will know that the Lord of the armies has sent me to you. Now this is 
part of the the tribulation is the Lord keeping His word and declaring to the nations that He He is taking care of it all. Now, the spiritual, supernatural, and total regathering of Israel will be at the second advent. People look at Israel coming back into the land, trying to move back into the land, and there are Jews, believing Jews, still scattered all over the earth. It's interesting to to note, I I know of a synagogue in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas, that along about 19... uh, I probably got the dates wrong... In the 50s, 60s, 70s, somewhere like that, they they sold everything they had and moved to Israel. Those Jews said, "Hey, it's time for us to go back." So they decided that it was time to leave, and that's what they did. They sold their houses, they sold everything else, they moved back to Israel. They knew that the Lord was that had told them, "Get out of there." Flee from Babylon. I don't know if they'd figured that one out or not. We'll ask one of them one of these days. But what they had done is they said, it's time to go back to our homeland. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you. The blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now how many of these nations, how many of these nations in the tribulation uh, appreciate Israel? Or love the Lord. None of them. None of them do. (laughs) We're almost at that number right now. But none of them do. If you're outcast or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there He will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. This is a literal return to the literal land of Israel which is promised to Abraham. And you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, so that you may live. He'll pull all the human viewpoint, the bad worldviews. That's what circumcision of the heart's about. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all His commandments which I command you today. Now, in the Millennial Kingdom, what we find out is that there's going to be a dispersion of Israel. It's prophesied by Moses. And then one day they're going to come back and they're going to shed all these idols and they're going to serve the Lord. Matthew twenty four thirty. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He'll send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and He will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Isaiah five twenty-five. On this day account, the anger of the Lord is burned against His people. And he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. And the mountains quaked. Remember, we read ahead about the 
final earthquake at the end of the tribulation. Mountains quaked. Their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the streets. For all this, his anger is not spent and his hand is still stretched out. He'll lift up a standard to a distant nation and will whistle for it from the ends of the earth. And behold, it will come with speed swiftly. Now, the spiritual, supernatural, total regathering of Israel will be at the second advent. The Lord defeats all of his enemies. He sends his angels out and they bring them all to Israel. That's what it says. So, when people talk about all Israel being saved, they've got to get the rest of the prophetic picture together to know how and when that is going to come about. So, uh, the tribulation, the point we'll look at next week, is known as Daniel's 70th week. And we're going to break that passage down, look at what it's talking about, because uh, every time I go into this, it's, it's phenomenal the details that are put in these four little verses. So, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for all your blessings and tests. And thank you for these pieces of information. Father, we do thank you for the fact that we are not going to be here for your wrath that will be poured out those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we walk in a manner worthy of that great deliverance. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.